Our scripture from Psalm 92, selected verses. It is a good thing to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to tell you, to tell of your loving kindness early in the morning and of your faithfulness in the night season, on the psaltery and on the lyre and to the melody of the harp. For you have made me glad by your acts, O Lord, and I shout for joy because of the works of your hands. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree and shall spread abroad like a cedar of Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be green and succulent that they may show how upright the Lord is, my rock in whom there is no fault. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. My friends, it's a delight to be with you in worship. I even hear that we have a bit of a choir. Did you hear those high notes? Good Lord, it's been a long time. It's been too long. But I'm so happy that you're here because it means you get to see me, and I know what kind of a blessing that is to you. <laughs> Trust me. Sorry, I have a bit of a cold. I won't be shaking hands outside, but uh, I don't want you to get the summertime cold. That's no fun. But I picked it up taking the girls to Disney to celebrate the, the difficult year of school during COVID. So I wanted to kind of celebrate with them. I was saying to somebody, do you know what the least happy place in the world is? Disney World. 95 degrees wearing a mask on roller coasters. I'm not recommending it to you. Kids seem to like it. At any rate, friends, listen, I don't get very many benefits being a pastor. Like, it's, it doesn't come with, like... Um, I don't know, free sodas or something like that. But here's one. I get to stand here and say things and you have to listen. So I'm going to do something that's self-indulgent. Tomorrow is my wife and I's 13th anniversary. And I'm looking in the camera at you, baby. Happy anniversary. 13 years. You're still going. She's putting up with me well. Don't you agree? Turn around to the cameras and say, hi, Colleen. I'm not kidding. Let's just do it. Camera's right there. All right. Very good. Guys, I don't know why you're acting up. This is church. Let's get serious. Let us pray. Creator God, we're thankful for the life that you have given us. And we confess that we haven't always been good and faithful with that gift. We have certainly been unwise, wayward, and sinful. And though we tend to walk away from you, we believe that you have sent your Son Christ, our Savior, to reconcile us unto yourself, and we're grateful for that gift. We're grateful that Christ is at work in us, cultivating within us a desire for your kingdom. Thank you. We also believe and confess as a community that you've sent your Holy Spirit to, to be a counselor, guide, and friend to us. And, and I ask now, God, that you send your Spirit to this sanctuary and to be with anyone who can hear my voice. For you and I know that without you, we can, I can do nothing. We ask that your spirit come and put the psalm in our hearts that we may know true religion and transformation. It is in the matchless name of your son, Jesus, and God's people together say, amen. It was my freshman year of college, and I was in a philosophy course. We were discussing ethics, deontological ethics, teleological ethics. We were talking about categorical imperatives. 
And then the professor does what professors do in ethics courses. They pose these thought experiments, these moral questions that are impossible to truly answer. And he asks each student how they would go about answering this quandary. Are you going to take the utilitarian approach, or are you going to follow John Stuart Mill, or whatever? He gets to this young woman in the class, and she says, I'm not going to use any of those methods. I'm a Christian. And then he goes, ah, the Christian religion is often based on virtue ethics. That's not totally wrong, but she didn't like what he had to say because he said the Christian religion. She had enough gumption to speak back to the professor, and she said, I'm sorry, sir, but Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. I don't know if you've ever heard that put that way before. At that time in my faith development, I heard it all the time. See, there was this connotation that people put to religion. It, it sounded sort of like what we call works righteousness. Being made right by God by all the stuff that you do, by going to church, by, by paying your tithe, by saying the right prayers, by saying please and thank you and doing all the things the right way. That would make us right by God. And you see, we were always taught that we can't be saved by our works, but by grace alone. By our relationship to Jesus Christ, we are afforded grace, unmerited favor. We're given a gift. Now, I think that that is a silly dichotomy to make. I think it's reductionistic, but I think it's present in that lady's speech. I don't have a religion. I don't have all the the stuff I got to do. I got a relationship. I got something deep. I got something personal. I, I think that that mentality is in the background when people say things like, well, I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. What they mean is, I, I don't like the institution of a religion. I don't like the, the system, systematic nature of it. I don't like the hierarchy, but I'm spiritual. I like the deep connection to something beyond myself. This morning, I want to have us redeem the word religion. The Latin root is religio or religio, and that tells you nothing. But what does it mean? Well, it means to bind back, as in to bind back to a source. Properly speaking, religion is the activity of your life that binds you back to the source of life, to the source of transcendent goodness, beauty, and truth. I think that's actually what people are trying to say when they say, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. They're, they're trying to find their life bound back to that which is greater than can be thought. So let's redeem the word religion today. Why am I talking about it? Because I feel that Reverend Stone read this psalm, and I feel that psalm speaks to the essence of religion. It starts off by saying, praising God is a good thing. That's my translation. It's good to praise God. It's good to adore God. It's good to be thankful to God with your mouth and your heart. And for those of you who can play instruments like Mr. Wesley Kreider, praise God 
with the strings and the keys and the drums. Praise God with your being. It's a good thing to practice thanksgiving to God. Why? Because when you do, you're making a confession about where you stand in the cosmos. You didn't invent your own life. You didn't create your own story. You don't lift yourself up by your bootstraps, my friends. I don't care what America tells you. You've received everything you've got. The very breath you breathe is a gift from God. Your very movement and being is a gift from God. And, and what's more, you are needy, contingent beings, always reliant upon what God can give us for our life. It's good to praise God. It's good to be thankful. And in so doing, what you're doing is you're binding yourself back to the source of all that is good, true, and beautiful. When I was younger in my faith development, somebody was trying to teach me how to pray. Because, you know, I had one of those problems a lot of people have when I pray, my mind kind of wanders. Does that ever happen to you? And this is a very simple practice. I don't do it anymore. I've got other more ancient prayer forms. But the, the one I was taught at the time was, was an acronym. It's the ACTS prayer. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. You start by adoring God, and then you move on to confession. You confess your sins, and then you go to thanksgiving. And then only then do you ask God for things. I remember the first time I tried. I was laying in bed praying before I went to sleep. I don't know if that's your practice. It's mine. Laying there praying, and I'm adoring God. And as I go through the Rolodex of things that I can give adoration to God for, I fell asleep. I never made it to the next step because it was countless. I worked at it. I remember the next time I got a little bit better. I went from adoration to confession and now I'm on my way to thanksgiving before I get to the whole business where I ask God for things. That's too much of our prayer, by the way. I get to thanksgiving and it occurs to me. I can say, thank you, God, that I have food to eat. Then I realize I don't have the same food I eat every day. I have a, a diversity, a variety of food. Thank you, God, for my library. Have you ever thought to thank God for the fact that you can have a library? If you haven't, you're too privileged because you don't get it. You just don't get it. Sorry. But I don't just have one book in my library. I've got volumes of books. Thank you, God, that I have clothes to wear on my back, but, but not just one shirt and one pair of trousers, many. And I could go on and on and on. I fell asleep before I could even say, God, help me with this or that. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to start with God in praise fashion, in adoration and thanksgiving. It's the heart of our religion. It binds us back to the most true thing most true person. I believe that there are two types of people in the world. I know I don't like reductionist sentences that start that way, but forgive me. There's people who practice gratitude and there's people who can't or don't. I, I simply believe that if you're going to be a happy person in this world, you got to be a grateful person. And I find that people who are unhappy are not grateful. Now, my wife would tell me to tell you 
I'm not talking about some sort of toxic optimism where we, we dismiss our, our, our pain or dismiss our tri trials or dismiss other people's pain and, and trials or injustices. It's not just blind optimism. It's, it's, gratitude is, is, is deep here. It is an awareness. It's an awareness that we have been gifted and given and divinely donated. It's a an awareness of our reliance upon not just God, but others and the rest of creation for every move we make. And it is a thankfulness of spirit. Gratitude runs deep. I read an article this week. There was a survey of Catholic priests, and they said that the least confessed prayer in the confessional booth, the least confessed sin in the confessional booth is, is that of jealousy, envy, and covetousness. The least confessed sins. Yet, quite obviously, it's ubiquitous in our world. It's ubiquitous in our world. The psalmist knows religion. It's good to be grateful and have gratitude toward God. It's good to be thankful to God. This is religion. It binds you back to the giver of life. <clears throat> but what does it do for you? Not that it needs to, but it does something for you. What does it do? According to the psalmist, it will make you flourish. Did you catch that word used twice? It's one of my favorite concepts, one of my favorite words, and unfortunately, marketers are using it too much now, so... It kills my buzz a bit. But flourishing is a good thing. He talks about how you will flourish like a, a palm tree or like the cedars of Lebanon. This might be lost on you. You live in Atlanta, which is a city in a forest. So the verdant trees are ever-present in your imagination, right? In fact, you can't just cut down a tree in the city of Atlanta. It's a big deal. But if you're in a desert-like landscape, if you're in parched earth, a tree, a green tree, a strong cedar, this is a sign of life. This is a sign that something has life. By binding ourselves back to God in praise, in thanksgiving and gratitude, we may, in fact, find ourselves flourishing. We may be verdant of spirit. What does it mean to have a flourishing life? What does it mean to live the good life? I suppose when I ask that question, what is the good life, you might have a different uh, concept or imagination than me, maybe, maybe not. I think a lot of us tend to think of mansions. Maybe we tend to think of Rolls Royces. Maybe we think of Jeff Bezos who's stepping down from Amazon this week, right? And the first thing he's going to do after that is he's going to take one of his own private rockets and go into space. Must be nice. Is that what the good life is? Living high on the hog, living in the lap of luxury? I think that's been the American story for a lot of us. I think it's the Hollywood story. I think that's Wall Street's story. But I was shocked a couple years back. I, I, I used to teach at Illinois State University once a year in a friend's course. I, I was a guest lecturer in his environmental communications course. It's 
So my PhD in theology focuses on environmental philosophy and creation and these kinds of things. So he always wanted me to come in and talk about how we communicate issues relating to ecology and so on. And I'd, I'd always ask the students, I'd say, what's the good life? It was a trick question. I expected to hear the Bentleys and the Rolls Royces and the mansions, but these millennials shocked me. Every year, kids would raise their hand and say something like this. Well, I guess I would just like to graduate from here with little to no student debt. I'd like to have a job, maybe a spouse, maybe some kids. Very modest picture of the good life. Now, here's the reason why it's a trick question. Because in philosophy, the good life is a question about ethics and virtue. Aristotle to Aquinas, we talk about the good life is a life lived uh, in between extremes. It's a life lived of ethics. It's a life that brings flourishing to you and the world around you. But I was shocked at how modest their understanding of the good life was. But even though I was proud of them for their modesty, it's still an idol, an idyllic picture, an American dream of white picket fences and dogs barking in the yard. It's still an image of something that we've been told is a good one and that we can attain it. Friends, what does it mean to flourish? Does it mean all that? Here's the thing. We're called as Christians to bind ourselves always back to God in worship and devotion and gratitude, and we will flourish. It doesn't mean we're not going to go through tragedy and misfortune and struggle. It doesn't mean we get out of this without bumps and bruises. This is not prosperity, health, and wealth. Because flourishing, to truly flourish, means there's something deep down inside of you that is well with God and well with others. There's a, almost this unidentifiable mark of joy and peace and hope that you're going to be able to take your next steps and continue walking when the times get hard. To flourish means to be who you are and to be realized within the life and story of God. <laughs> I talk to the staff quite a bit about how we judge and evaluate ministries. For me, it's always the question, are people flourishing? And another related concept, was this or that thing life-giving? And that drives numbers people crazy. It drives business people nuts. You want to evaluate things based on how many people showed up or how much money we made, blah, 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 blah. To me, that doesn't tell the story. What tells the story is if people flourish and if they find life given in it. And you can't quantify it. But you know it when you see it. Oh, you can have an event with so many people that you can't even fit them in the building. But if you look at your volunteers and their heads are held low and their shoulders are down and you can see the scorched earth between, beneath their feet, it wasn't a good event. It wasn't life-giving. Oh, you can have an event with three people. What they come out with is more life. You can see the green grass growing right below their feet. It's verdant. It's self-evident. Bind yourself back to God and find that you may flourish. And this is good news. Why aren't you smiling? This is good news. 
We've all lived through about 18 months of a, of a period of time that people have called languishing. It ain't been fun for nobody. But with God, you can flourish through it. You can continue to grow out of the cracks. You can continue to reach up for the sun. You can receive your life anew every day from God. And in the process, make the world around you flourish for others too. So, church, be religious people. Be religious. Oh, I'm not talking about board meetings. I'm not talking about bylaws. I'm not talking about having to be at church at 11 o'clock in a suit and tie. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about binding your heart back to God in praise with sincere gratitude. Thank you, Father God. Thank you for my life. Thank you for this next breath. May I do with it what you will. May I make others flourish with my next breath. When you live that way, not only will you live a life-giving life from God, but you will be a life-giving life to others.